0: Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy Podcast Series. Electrification, rise of renewables, and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Today, we want to talk about energy efficiency programs, and our guest is Ulrika Wiesing, Head of Department Sustainable Energy Use Europe of DNVGL Energy. Good morning, Ulrika. Good morning. Before we jump into the topic Ulrika, it would be great if you could briefly introduce yourself as well as what your section is actually doing.
1: I'm a chemical engineer by training and I have a PhD in energy efficiency in industry and I've worked my whole professional life as a consultant working on energy efficiency issues in different fields and in different settings. My team here in Europe, we work on mainly two different things. Uh, We work directly with industry, trying to help them both stay regulatory compliant as well as reducing their energy costs by becoming more energy efficient. And then we also work towards government and large institutions, where we try to help them understand what the potential is for energy efficiency, but also evaluate uh, programs that they've either uh, managed or ordered someone else to run, uh, so we evaluate the effectiveness of those programs as well.
0: Let's start with a very high-level question. What would you say are the key issues when discussing energy efficiency programs and decarbonization?
1: COP21 was agreed that we need to we need to be better than a two degrees increase uh as projected and it's more like a one point five degree uh increase of of uh, Earth's temperature, which means that the targets of decarbonization is just gonna get tougher and tougher and tougher uh for the the globe because now this is an agreement that most people could sign up to. So, when you talk about decarbonization, one aspect of decarbonization is energy efficiency. And then, of course, another aspect of decarbonization is to decarbonize the energy that we use. But the absolute cheapest and most uh, easy to do is often energy efficiency. And the international energy agency has has created this statement where they say that, Energy efficiency is the first fuel, as in that is the best way to reduce our consumption of energy and therefore decarbonize. So energy efficiency uh, programs uh, can be, first of all, can be run very, very differently. So you have uh, specific ways of running energy efficiency programs in different parts of the world. But at the end of the day, it's to help and encourage people to uh, make changes, whether or not those changes are investments or they're things that people do differently. Uh, those The programs are intended to reduce the amount of energy we use.
0: Okay, so um, maybe to understand better for whom these programs are relevant, uh, we could uh, maybe or you could maybe share a few industry examples and uh, talk a bit about uh, savings that can be achieved, how you track those and and how the savings compare to the cost of an energy efficiency program.
1: So I think first maybe maybe we should um, talk about what what is an energy efficiency program because I think uh, there's a plethora of different Uh, definition of what is an energy efficiency program and and different uh, views of what that is. And I think you have different forms. So you have the energy efficiency programs that are run either by a utility or a state body that uh, gives incentives for people or industry or organizations to take action and become more energy efficient. And then you have an energy efficiency program that could be run by an industrial organization, which is within their uh, uh, assets, they run an internally funded program uh, in order to reduce energy consumption and energy costs. So I think it's important to keep those two things separate, because It's one thing if you get incentives to do something, and there's another thing if you take action yourself as an organization to do something. And uh, if you look at the things that industry are doing, so the self-funded energy efficiency programs, um, there's, there's different level of advancement in different companies in different industry sectors. And I would say the typical one would be that you have an investment program for replacing your equipment and buy more energy-efficient equipment. And this type of approach has been used for a very, very long time. And... And it can actually be seen, in, if you look at statistics on how industry has become more energy efficient compared to how buildings have become more energy efficient or how, indes- uh, how transport have become more energy efficient, you can see that industry has actually made a huge leap in comparison to the other. And the reason why, the main reason why they've done this leap is because they've continuously invested in their processes and when they do so, every time they buy a new pump it is a little bit more energy efficient every time they buy a new uh, process equipment it is a little bit more energy efficient so because of that continuous renewal of the asset it has become much more energy efficient over time so that's kind of the investment type classic energy efficiency program that you will have in an industry And then you have the industrial companies that are a little bit more advanced and that have gone towards an energy management system and are looking more at how can we run our assets more energy efficient with the equipment we have. Of course, we're going to continue to invest, but even with the equipment we have, can we be better? Can we do things better? And I think that's that's a key area where we've been working for the last few years and trying to help. In industrial organization and specific site to understand what is driving their variability of energy use because if they can always be an optimal energy consumption for whatever process for whatever type of product they're producing well then that would lead to significant energy savings and we're typically talking between 5 and 20% energy savings just by running your process optimally But often, these processes are very dynamic. It's hard to really identify the root causes of things. And we also tend to have an approach of running at with a certain safety margin. We're afraid of not producing the right quality. So we put a little bit more energy into the process in order to really make sure we produce the right quality. And it might be that we're keeping boilers on standby because we're afraid that if our main boiler goes down, it's going to take too long to start up a new boiler from cold. And therefore we keep these boilers on standby. And very seldom is there an evaluation of the cost of that safety margin and what is actually the probability of those things to happen. So these are things that we work on and where we, we, we try to we, we use actually data mining as a tool to identify what are the root causes for all this variability and where what is this this safety margin costing you uh, and what are the root causes of uh, over producing quality or um or over using energy when you're running a process
0: right do, do you have uh, like a concrete industry example where um you could uh, tell us what, for example, the sure. behavior uh yeah. doing.
1: So I have a couple of examples that I could share with you. I can uh, first is an example of a lime producer where uh, when you make lime, you basically grind stone. That's what you do. You grind. The grinder is the main energy consuming component in a lime factory. And the smaller the particles, so the more energy you put to the grinder, the more reactive is the line. So the customer, of course, wants to have the smallest particle possible. Uh, But typically, there's a specification from the customer. But what happens is that the operator that runs the grinder are afraid to not meet the specification and because it's very difficult to measure in real time where they are with regards to size um, they they tend to grind over grind and produce an over quality too high quality for what they're actually getting paid for and this is of course is a is a is a, is a waste uh, because they're putting a lot more energy into a process unnecessarily because they could Run it much, much leaner and just run to specification. But again, that's that safety mar- margin thinking. Uh, another example I have is a is a distillation column where a distillation column is really difficult to shut down. It takes a week, and then it takes a week to uh, to get it back up running. Uh, so because of that, when there's a is an issue a distillation column, is you typically just recirculate a distillation column. And of course, when you recirculate a distillation column, you use the same amount of energy again uh, for, you're basically reproducing the same product again. So that's an enormous waste of energy. And typically, uh, it's with regards to, again, safety margins, that people are running this distillation in recirculation rather than uh, continue to to produce or maybe even bringing the distillation column down to a lower production level, Uh, because then you would recirculate at a lower rate and lose less energy. Again, it's a question of, does the operator understand really what's at stake when he recirculates? How much is cost? To recirculate? And is it really necessary? And again, we're talking about those safety margins. Is it necessary to recirculate? So that's another example.
0: Okay. Well, that's interesting. I think when we look at the uh, US, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there, there are some top brands over there who obviously also use energy efficiency as, as something defining their brand because uh, they might think their customers expect it from them. So in the US, there seems to be quite a culture also looking at our own business. How is that in other regions of the world, in Europe or also here in Southeast Asia?
1: So I think that one thing that they have in the U.S. uh, which we don't necessarily have anywhere else are utility obligation schemes where the utilities are obliged to help their customers save energy. Uh, And in a lot of areas in the U.S., there are programs for industry. So industry can also can get funding from the utility to actually become energy efficient. So it's, it's become an important part of the agenda in the US. That said, I think that when you look at where we're at with regards to energy efficiency, and especially with industry, the European industry is by far as the most energy efficient industry, if you look at different regions of the world. And I think uh, that has to do with uh, all for for a long time, I would say, ever since the, the oil crisis, uh, that energy prices have been higher in Europe than elsewhere. So we, in order to stay competitive, we've been forced to reduce our energy demand. And it's also the question of security of supply. So there's also been incentives from government to reduce energy consumption. So uh and also there's a different thinking in europe in in the u.s companies typically they have a very short-term uh uh, objective because it's driven by the stock market so they have very very uh low investment uh high profitability type approach in the u.s whereas the european industry has taken a much much more long-term um view on energy investment and energy efficiency because the demand from their owners through the stock market has been less on short-term returns. And then if you look at uh, Asia-Pacific, you have a different situation where it's a much newer asset base uh, compared to Europe and compared to the U.S. And you also have a culture uh, in industry to follow what happens elsewhere, and often it's also multinational companies that has assets in Asia and and the Pacific uh, that also have factories elsewhere. So it's more of a trend of follow uh, that I've seen in that region. Um, but that that said, there's a, a big trend globally right now to go towards energy management systems and ISO 50001, which is the ISO standard for energy management system. And that is being rolled out by companies across the globe. And of course, that includes their assets in Asia Pacific.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Now, let's look ahead a little bit, uh, what will happen in the future. Uh, We recently saw that um, in California, but also in Dubai, uh, solar deals were signed where solar costs 3 US dollar cents the kilowatt hour. We might even have the vision energy is for free at some point in time and you only pay for the service provided to yourself. In addition to this, uh, we have this whole Internet of Things, digitalization, demand response, storage, distributed generation coming in It's game changers, at least in the electricity industry. What is your view uh, on these impacting the uh, imperative of being energy efficient?
1: So I think that um, first of all, when you talk about energy, we have to remember that there's two main components of energy. We have electricity, but we also have fuel. And when you look at industry and especially energy intensive industry, the majority of the energy they use is fuel. Um, and, yes, there's a current dip in oil prices, so fuel is actually more more uh, inexpensive than it used to be. Uh, but we actually haven't seen a negative trend when it comes to energy efficiency, because at the same time, as the prices are going down, the regulatory requirements of decarbonization is going up which forces companies to still become more energy efficient because the penalties of not doing so would largely over, overbear the cost of actually becoming more energy efficient. So I think that's one aspect of it is that the rec- regulatory environment is still pushing on the fuel side companies to become more energy efficient and emit less CO2 now if electricity is all green and is cheap uh on the electricity side you might might in the future see uh, uh, less need uh, to become more energy efficient but i actually don't think so because we also have an increased population we're increasing all the time we have more and more decentralized energy like you said which will create challenges because where the really cheap electricity, green electricity being produced might not be where the people live or where the factories are. So you might also have a higher cost in distribution of that energy and you might have higher costs because you need to store it because it's intermittent. So I actually don't think that the fact that renewable energy prices are going down, that we're going to see less of energy efficiency and the need, less need for energy efficiency.
0: Okay. What, what about, I mean, um, what about these new technical advancements of uh, maybe loads, uh, generation, transmission, distribution, becoming much more intelligent? Um, how, what what impact does that have on, on this topic?
1: I actually think that's an opportunity uh, because if you look at the industrial sector, it's a huge demand. So the demand for energy in, in industry is still one of the biggest that we have in society. So, and it's also centralized in a few locations whereas you know, building and housing is still, at least in the UK, the biggest CO2 emitter, but it's all distributed across the country. Whereas if you look at industry, it's the second biggest, but it's concentrated maybe at 300 sites main sites. So the role that those sites can play in a demand response kind of world uh, can be quite significant. And if they at the same time then use less energy themselves, they can play a bigger role in such a market, in such a system. So I actually think it's a great opportunity for energy efficiency uh, this digitalization and this Internet of Things and, and the distributed energy and uh, and the demand response potential.
0: Okay, thank you very much Ulrika. We are unfortunately at the end of our, our time. This was Ulrika Wiesing, Head of Section Sustainable Energy Use, Europe on Energy Efficiency and I hope you come back for the next series. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy Podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com/talksenergy.